Welcome to another art-infused episode of the Needless Things Podcast. Today we are going to be talking to Robert Jimenez of Zero Street, or I guess technically you are Zero Street. Yeah, some people uh, refer to me as Zero Street, but I I never meant it to be a, you know, nom de plume or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, whatever that would be for an artist, yeah. So uh, I want to get started at the beginning, I always like to sort of do a uh, tell-me-about-your-life sort of thing on the show. Right. Uh, what are your first memories of sort of being inspired by art? Like, even if it was just, even if it was like cartoons on TV or comic books or whatever the case may be, do you remember kind of the earliest things where, where you were impressed by something along the lines of cartooning or whatever? Yeah, I and it definitely was uh, comic books. Uh I, if you see the bio on my website, it's exactly as it is there. I grew up in in Brooklyn, and my brother and I would walk down to the corner newsstand multiple times a week. I don't remember when that, uh, you know, what age that might have been, but um, but I've got somewhere in my closet uh, it, for some reason when I bought the book, or shortly after I wrote in it, the first comic book I ever bought, and it was a, an issue of Fantastic Four, uh, penciled by George Perez. And I know it had the Impossible Man on the cover, um, so I'm not sure when that would be. But but there was something about his artwork, and I always was a fan of his, I, uh, especially through Teen Titans and some of his uh, Avengers work. Um, but there was something about his style in particular that was the first thing that kind of kind of spoke to me. I was always drawing anyway and illustrating as a kid or trying to. But uh, definitely comics, and and the, the probably the biggest thing I miss from living up there is just that thing of just being you know at a, at a corner newsstand and the racks of magazines and comics. Um, that definitely was it. Cartoons played a huge part. I mean, that was part of my TV viewing also, but mainly comics. Yeah, that man. I- I get so nostalgic thinking back to we, we'd go visit my grandparents at the beach and that my first comics came off of one of those spinner racks. Yeah. And it, you know, it wasn't a comic shop or anything. It was, it was literally almost like a drugstore at the beach or I guess a convenience store. Where, where was that? Uh, this is Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh. And, uh, it, you know, it was a place where you could go in and buy sunblock and flip-flops and right. ugly t-shirts and, you know, various sundries that you might not have remembered to bring with you. But they always had one of those spinner racks by the counter of, of random, you know, Marvel and DC stuff just in there. And, yeah. And uh, that uh, Uncanny X-Men was, was the first comic I bought with my own money. And I, I miss that. I miss that sort of, like, just buying something because you look at the cover and it's cool and it's interesting right right and you're discovering it kind of for the first time yeah yeah and and i think a lot of that though is is because we were kids finding that stuff i think that makes a big difference in the discovery process yeah yeah and and it definitely uh imbues it with a certain nostalgia that very few other things are gonna you know feel that way in your life 
and partly because of your youth. But yeah, we had a store a couple blocks down that sold egg creams. It was like a little drugstore, kind of like you say. It had a counter. Probably like the last holdouts from what you might have seen in an old sitcom, like on Lucy or something, when they went down to the drugstore and got uh, got lunch at the counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was one of those, and I would go and get chocolate, chocolate egg creams, and it had far fewer than, than what the newsstand had, but it had the spinner rack, and I would frequently go there just to see what what was new you know it was a big part of our childhood yeah that that discovery and you mentioned the nostalgia and i think that's the the key of it is you know when you're younger but you know up and up until probably 18 20 somewhere around there like everything is new yeah and there's a certain magic with discovering those new things and as you get older you start to see patterns and you start to see okay well this is like this and and it's just a factor of aging is nothing is quite as special or it takes sure. a lot for something to be as special yeah and it they may be, it may be as special but it just doesn't quite have that that feeling which is what you say just that you know the innocence and that time of your life where you're discovering something yeah things just don't get their hooks into you the same way no no not at all so when you started drawing on your own what were were, were you trying to sort of ape styles or were there specific characters you enjoyed drawing or what were your your goals early on yeah no i i definitely remember just having comic books open and trying to draw stuff and it, it was often batman batman was just at the, you know in the I, I don't know what that would have been the mid-70s when i was really getting into all that stuff he was just everywhere the batman tv shows in constant syndication and my parents would buy us you know and it, it you know bed sheets or whatever so batman was always one of my favorites and always i would say 90 percent of what i tried to draw uh growing up and it was it was always superheroes it really didn't move away from that for quite a long time superheroes in one form or another and those are i mean i think that's where a lot of people even though we grew up with uh you know maybe flintstone scooby-doo uh, yeah. the cartoons like that, there's something about that superhero image of Batman, Spider-Man, like you said, oh, Fantastic yeah. Four. There's something dynamic about that, and you just want to get it on paper yourself for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yes, definitely, especially a young a young boy, you know. It, I mean, that, that was just the most special thing. And to try to create it, probably not often succeeding, but I think, um, you know, everybody loves to draw as a kid, but then... Uh, just as you grow older, sure, a lot of people just leave it, and uh, it just doesn't become a big part of their lives. And then a few people, uh, you know, diff- artists, visual artists, or whatever, just continue on it. Um, so yeah, it was just it was just a, a really important uh, and seemed like probably yeah the most prevalent thing you would find with your friends or whoever drew was, was superheroes. Yeah, we. I was. I was definitely one of the ones who. I wouldn't say I left it behind, but I didn't pursue it seriously ever because I. I never up through high school. I just. I was constantly drawing, always superheroes, yeah. cartoon characters, whatever, everything, and uh, it, you know, it was a. It was a great way to to express myself. It was a great, just a a thing to do. I, I feel like being productive in any way creatively is good. And uh, that that was sure. definitely a you know it was it was better than sitting around watching TV which don't get me wrong I did plenty of that too, 
<laughs> so did I, for sure. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned cartoons as well. Uh, what were some uh, sort of cartoon inspirations that you had growing up? Uh, cartoons, actually, I think the ones that probably, uh, one of the ones I think of most often, and, and I, and I was kind of entering at, maybe I wasn't, uh, mid teen or something like that. And just not watching a lot of cartoons. I always have fond memories of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What? I don't even know what year that, that had to be like 82 or something. 82 something. or three, right around there. Yeah. But, you know, when I was younger, definitely all the Hanna-Barbera stuff, uh, the Tom and Jerry. I love stuff like the Impossibles and things like that. Um, the uh, Is that right? The Impossibles? That was the one with the Spring Man and can't even remember their names. Yeah. Frankenstein Jr., that kind of stuff yeah, when I was yeah, young yeah. That, that, was, well, was pretty special. Speed Racer. And what's so funny is there were so many of those Hanna Barbera cartoons, the little you oh, know, yeah. the little shorts that would be ongoing, and they'd feel because uh, they would always show them in blocks with other cartoons, like you'd see, yeah. you know, Speed Buggy, and then you'd see right. Jabberjaw <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and then they had didn't they have the uh, Wacky Races or something like yes. that, where all the characters were represented, and yeah, that was fun. I yeah. used to, that, that was a big part of my viewing. And it and it's funny because that was you know back in the day seeing all the characters from the different cartoons together in the what they had the wacky races and the laugh Olympics. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Were the that's, were the ones where they'd have all the Hanna Barbera characters together. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. And also around that time, a pretty well known station in New York, WPIX Channel Eleven. My Saturday and Sundays were Abbott and Costello movies. Uh, B monster movies, uh, Marx Brothers, all that stuff. Uh, as I started getting a bit older, played definitely played a part in just shaping uh, what I drew. And you know, monsters came into the mix, and um, that that was all. TV was a big part of it for sure in my preteen and postteen years. I think. When did the the tiki art style? sort of start to that, present itself to you that was probably let me see i go by my young uh, daughters i think that was probably about 12 years ago 11 years ago or so um when i started being more active on social media and i first when i first discovered twitter i used it i still primarily do just just to follow artists that was my thing and i think that's probably a bulk of who I follow are, are artists. And there was an, uh, an artist who did a, a, he had a one-man show, um, and it was just uh, Easter Island Moai heads um, mashups with different pop culture things. So, like, one of the Moais might have had a, a Batman cowl on him, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Things like that. And I had never thought of Tiki much up until that point. Uh, I liked something about the Moai's face, and I started drawing it, and that's kind of where it took off. I discovered a community on on uh, a forum called the Tiki Central, which is still pretty active, uh, although I think a lot of that has moved to Facebook. But uh, that just came from there, and looking through all the various artists uh, in that uh, culture, uh, it just it just inspired inspired me and actually is really what 
got me to painting because up until that point it was just illustration, pen and ink, maybe a little splash of color here and there with some the watercolor or Prismacolor pencil. But that uh, tiki is really what made me want to try to paint with acrylics, you know. And subsequently, I've done I've been moving into gouache and oil, but that that was a, a big inspiration for me. And I tend to have a lot of interest, and I kind of have always pursued what I wanted draw or paint at the moment. So that kind of came at a time where I was feeling really creative, and I just put out a lot of a lot of work, a lot of tiki work, and the, and and I still do, but not not as there's just so many things in my mix right now that it's um, that output of that has has diminished a little bit. Well, that's if the uh, if the listeners want to check out zerostreet.com, uh, they can do what I'm doing right now and check out your gallery and see, uh, you know, not only the tiki stuff, but such a vast array of pop culture references. And uh, it, it's interesting to me because the tiki is visually, it's instantly recognizable, not just for the forms of the. Uh, as you mentioned, the Easter Island heads and the masks and the things like that. But even the medium, uh, there's a certain look to it that's very yeah. identifiable. How? What is that? How do you nail that specific look? Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I I can tell you that er, early on, some of the earlier pieces, I just kind of started drawing what I thought were like carved wooden faces or or masks or whatever you want to say but a, as I began to get a little more interested in it I started um, you know buying occasional books here and there or looking online uh, looking at Polynesian art and the different tikis from the different uh, islands and just maybe going through some of that imagery some of it uh, you know is, is uh, what some might call creepy or um it definitely has uh, a dark vibe to it at times um and i tend to my palette for most of my work probably if you're looking you'll see it tends to be on the dark side anyway yes yes um i tend to not create anything super saturated or vibrant so i think it it, it was just maybe a, a mixture of all that you know it's 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 kind of like um a remote, mysterious jungle is how I kind of saw it, or or or, or an island, you know, um, and and it to me immediately spoke of like moonlight and torches and uh, just just things that are of a darker nature. So so that's where I went. I don't know if, if everybody. Uh, I know there's some very cheerful and great tiki art out there, uh, but I I tend to. I tend to just kind of want to do what feels right for me at the time, and and that could be subject, not just the palette or the treatment, but also subject matter or whatever. But that kind of tends to be where where my interest falls naturally, I guess. That that more uh, mysterious, dark kind of thing. Now, along with that tiki art style, there is of course a whole tiki lifestyle. Uh, yeah, really almost a subculture of people who are enthusiasts for that aesthetic 
whether it be yeah, and it, paintings or whatever. How how deeply have you gotten into that? Um, yeah, it's. I believe it's actually even growing in popularity recently. Uh, but unfortunately, I just. Uh, I mean, I, I I enjoy it. I have near me um, the Maikai. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's one of the. It's one of the oldest uh, tiki restaurants uh, around, and here in Fort Lauderdale been around since i think 1956 oh wow um and because partly because of that we have a great tiki event here every year called the hukilau which i vend at um i haven't ventured out there are other shows and it's just a combination of my job and the family life and everything it's made it hard for me to to try to visit those and as a matter of fact tiki oasis just wrapped up in san diego that's the largest uh event and i've been wanting to do that uh the um, Otto and Baby Doe, they run that event and they're always uh, great and they've invited me. Uh, I participate in the art show. I ship out, you know, a painting every year, but I've yet to to do that show. So in terms of your question, of it, we go to, me and my family go to Maikai a couple times a year. I'm at the Hukilau for a weekend and really, aside from that, I can't say I'm uh, immersed in that culture. I'd love to have a little tiki space in my house. I don't quite have it yet. I have a few little things in my studio. Uh, but I would love to eventually have a nice space, maybe in our yard or something. Um, and, and be you know, have that a little more, uh, be a little bit more of a part of my life. Well, but right think- now it's... it's yeah. I, I think once you're an adult, that's kind of how those things go, though, is like you do find oh, something. Oh, sure. Oh, this is cool. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to have a, a tiki bar or maybe do right. some kind of area in the back or, or whatever the case may be. And it's, well, we'll do this a little bit at a time. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I've been dreaming of, of a space in the yard. And I see some, you know, some people have these amazing home tiki bars that are just the most beautiful thing and you just would love to have a space like that in your house but yeah it's uh it's not always um feasible yeah that's uh some friends of mine recently well recently a couple years ago redid their whole entire basement area and built it it's not just a tiki bar but a whole like environment down yeah. there oh uh, yeah and it's it's yeah. beautiful it's wonderful and uh yeah i look at it and i think well someday <laughs> yeah would be nice would be nice but we've got the mic if you ever saw florida you really need to, it's it is it's absolutely magical to walk in there it really is um so you know we have that and and like i said we go there a couple times a year um and it's it's always a good time well, as you said, your interests uh range much further and wider than just the tiki style. And one of the things I wanted to be sure and talk about today is the Kickstarter you've got going on right now for your Fearsome Weirdos trading card set, which is yeah. uh, possibly a parallel uh, genre, I'd say, because very often tiki and horror seem to go kind of hand in hand. Uh, yeah. Or at least it, to, to some uh, enthusiasts they do. Right, yeah, and yeah, a lot of different genres seem to intersect with it. Uh, some take to it, some people take to it better than others. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely, it, you know, it. There's something about the tiki art that that lends itself to that interpretation. A lot of people like to 
you know, Elvis and uh, monsters or or even science fiction themes or aliens. And I've seen all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's there's a reason they're selling tiki mugs of the Universal Monsters right. and Freddy Krueger and Pinhead now. Star Wars and all that, yeah. Right, right. Definitely. Uh, so Definitely. tell me a little bit about Fearsome Weirdos and where this concept came from and, and your history with Kickstarter, actually. Okay. Uh, well, my, my Kickstarter history is th- this would be my fourth Kickstarter. Um, it's it's a thing that I kind of felt I wanted to do from from my you know first time ever hearing about Kickstarter and following uh, campaigns and backing a number of them. And, uh, you know, where ideas for Kickstarters came from, I honestly don't know if I can really say, but ideas kind of seem to come to me uh, abruptly. And my first one, I love old pulp, uh, like the Shadow magazines and stuff like that. And I just had uh, one day, I don't even know how it came about, the notion of just creating uh, like a faux pulp publication from cover to cover. So uh, typically I just kind of start working on these things on my own. You know, I just kind of get an idea and want to work on it, not really knowing where it's going to end up. But as the book was coming together, it just seemed like a perfect thing to me for a Kickstarter. So uh, I definitely did research there countless blogs out there people uh you know documenting their experience on uh, you know with their kickstarter campaigns and i just uh continued to look into it following as i said many campaigns and tried to create something that uh had elements of some of the more successful ones i i've seen um so i i launched that first kickstarter the book i called the book strange wise and the issue was number nine i I just tried to create this whole um, thing where it just felt like it was a, it was a magazine that existed. And actually, I did get requests. People ask me how they can get issues one through eight, which <laughs> That's never great. existed. Yeah, I even I even got a few writers and artists writing me asking for submission guidelines. So I think it was a little successful in that. I, you know, I did a fake letter column. I wrote all the letters and the responses from the editor. I did fake ads, um, a fake fan club, uh, just all, all sorts of thing, uh, things. And I wrote a couple stories and put it together, and it, it, it funded on the first day, which was nice. Um, and then after that, every year, every summer, for some reason, I seem to do one. And I, and I honestly, I'm honest when I say I don't kind of pre-plan it. I just sit, I'm always sitting sketching or drawing or writing down some ideas and it just kind of becomes the next thing. Um, and that's what happened with fearsome weirdos. It, it, it's, I had been drawing them for about two years now. And then one day I just realized, you know, I've got a handful of them already. This can be something I didn't even know it'd be a trading card set at that point. Um, but as it develops, then my brain just kind of tells me, well, this will be, this will be the Kickstarter. And, um, it it just it just kind of naturally evolves into it. I think there's some projects that just kind of speak to a to a Kickstarter kind of thing. And um, so once I've got most of the work done, then I begin to work on the Kickstarter, which in and of itself is is a, is a lot of work. You want to have a nice animation. You want to set your rewards up. Um, you want to calculate 
I've read and seen many people who who have a successful Kickstarter who lost money in the end with shipping and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. yeah. So it's it's pretty stressful, and then you know you wanna you got to promote the hell out of it, you know, before, during. Um, so it's just it's there's a lot of factors involved. I thought this set was going to appeal to a lot of people. I wanted to make it look like a vintage card set to some degree, especially the backs of the cards. Um, and then I wanted some some sketch artists, or I wanted artists to produce sketch cards for me, which I thought was the most exciting thing about it. And I knew I was just going to have a handful of them uh, to just create a handful and kind of make it exclusive. So it just kind of all came together. Um, and I'm kind of glad that it's launched and, and funded, to be honest, because it's it's, uh, it's a lot of work. And for the listeners, I mean, you guys can still go check out Kickstarter, uh, look up Fearsome Weirdos, or, or honestly, I mean, Google Fearsome Weirdos Kickstarter, and it's you're there. We, yeah. The, the internet will take you right where you want to go, basically, these days. Uh, but everybody can still get on board with this and uh, sure, yeah. secure themselves a, a set and some awesome rewards and original art. Yeah, this uh, this is another case where I kind of, you know, I knew I needed to get this out and I wanted to hand paint all, 20, there, I think there's 25 characters, there's nine parody cards, and then there's one just which is kind of just like a shameless ad for the t-shirt. <laughs> um, but I wanted to paint them, and I knew if I did that, it, it honestly, it would take me two, three years to get through this with all the other work I do. Um, so I just, uh, for most of the characters, just did a, a simple black and white illustration in ink and scanned those and finished them digitally. But those black and white illustrations are available um, to, for, you know, as, as a Kickstarter reward. Well, and the your presentation now you mentioned putting effort into to making things look professional, and that I mean that's such a huge difference maker. Scrolling through the Kickstarter, all the graphics, all the backgrounds, everything like it looks like a very professional project. This doesn't you know I, I, having had that. experience with Kickstarter, this doesn't look like the sort of thing where you're like I don't know if this is going to happen or not. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. And I took a lot of care into the into the video. I animated the the creature from the Black Lagoon parody. I animated him coming out of the water with the woman, uh, and I took a lot of time into that. And I had I got to mention the uh, uh, band that I've come to become friends with through my Hukilau show, the Tiki show, the Intoxicators. They they wrote the the song for that video, which I thought was was amazing. Um, I gotta thank them for that. They're a great surf band. Um, definitely worth looking up. The Intoxicators, uh, and I also want to mention the the the, um, the sketch artist or the artist who agreed to do sketch cards because my intent. I do a lot of sketch cards for Tops and Upper Deck and Cryptozoic, but my original intent was to try to find artists who weren't known uh, in the sketch card world or don't do sketch cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it I don't know if you know anything about the pay rate on sketch cards, but it was a little difficult for me to convince certain artists to come aboard. I, I was offering way more than Tops would um let's say, but you know, admittedly an unknown uh you know pro- uh 
product, you know. Sure, sure. Uh, Fearsome Weirdos is not doesn't have the the attraction of a Star Wars uh, sketch card set to someone. Right. But um, I did end up with uh, three of my uh, tops friends: Jason Crosby, Smoking Joe, and Chris Meeks, who who are all amazing artists and sketch artists. And then I was lucky enough to get well a friend of mine. She goes by Elgato Gomez. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. Her and I have worked on a lot of shows together and uh we we worked for disney at the same time and had a signing together uh we have a history of doing stuff and she she agreed to be on um and then the great daniel horn who's an amazing uh horror artist uh painter and master oil painter he's doing five sketch cards and um and then howard chakowitz who is a radio personality uh in canada he was on a, a podcast or a radio show called Wiretap, and he's a great uh, underground-style illustrator. He's doing five cards for me, too. So I, I thought it was a, a nice mix of of artists. Um, definitely thought it would lend some, some uh, you know, originality to the sketch cards as, you know, it's just going to be a nice variety of styles, not, not your typical um, look. Well, and that's I think part of the challenge of of being creative and trying to offer some kind of product is there's that line of getting people invested in doing something really cool and different, but also making it worth their while. Sure, and and you've got to have you've got to present the right balance of that. Yeah, definitely, definitely, um, and and you know, in terms of the Kickstarter again, uh, the. The rewards, um, the way the way Kickstarter set up, they tell you all the time that this isn't like a. They don't want it to be a store, you right. know, where you just go and, and order and buy stuff. So yeah, you definitely want to come up with with a few uh, interesting twists. Like for example, I collected, or I'm collecting all the cards into a, a six by nine um, trade paperback and stuff like that. Definitely, you, you, you like to, to mix it up. Um, I have probably a little less rewards than I did on all my previous Kickstarters. I wanted to keep it a little simpler, um, but but definitely something that'll catch someone's attention. Well, and that's the thing is you've got your your different levels here. Uh, you know, you've got everything from I want the set of cards, I'm good, up through getting the you know the original art options and stuff. I think yeah. there's there's enough here to be appealing to a wide variety of people, which is one of the key things about Kickstarter is you've got to have, uh, you know, there are going to be different levels of investment people want to make, but they want that product. So you got to make it sort of, you got to put a little razzle dazzle on the higher, <laughs> higher end yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's also what helps you make your goal, you know, yeah, your funding goal. Yeah. Definitely. yeah it's, it's creating excitement and buzz around what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Kickstarter.com. Uh, just look for fearsome weirdos, or just Google fearsome weirdos Kickstarter. Very or very definitely if they go to zerostreet.com, it's the header image. Just click on it, and it'll take you there. Yeah, and and while you're there, you can check out your gallery and and your regular shop and everything as well. Uh, yeah. What else besides this Kickstarter? What else have you got going on right now? And any any projects you want to put over? Anything you want to promote and let us know about? Um, yeah, and, um, as you're asking that, I'm realizing I don't remember the title, but there's, um, 
there's a book coming out in October, uh, Stranger Things art book. Uh, it might be called Visions from the Under, uh, the Upside Down. Visions from the Upside Down, maybe. I think it's called. I think but that's it's... right, and I think it was actually offered in this month's uh, previews. Oh, was it? I think it was solicited this month because I rem- I do a review of previews every month. Okay, not the whole thing, but I'll pick out like specific things that I find interesting, and I I right. think it was this month that it was in there. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, an illustration in that. Um, I was, uh, you know, thrilled to be accepted. This is my second book with Printed in Blood as the publisher. Actually, they're they're doing this with. Boy, I forget the. I can't think of the pump. It might be Penguin. I don't remember. Uh, but Printed in Blood recently put out a Thing art book about two years ago, I think. And I also had a piece in that one. Uh, the difference with this one is that this is a, a uh, officially licensed Netflix book as well. So uh, everybody who's who's in the book will be able to, to sell, I believe, 200... Uh, officially licensed Netflix prints of their work. So oh, wow. I just Yeah, I can't show it yet because I'm not allowed to show it till the book is out. Sure. But but once the book is out, it'll be available at my store uh if someone'd like to like to pick up that print. I went with something a little unconventional. I tend to uh just like with the thing book, uh I just tend to my my mind just moves in the opposite direction of whatever might be the more logical thing. Uh, so my, you know, what struck me about Stranger Things, the first episode of the first season, was really the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons. I used to play with my friends, and uh, and then later the mixtape. There were a lot of things that I really that spoke to me. Be besides the horror elements and the fantasy of it, um, and I kind of stuck with that. So my my piece has you know some D and D dice featured in it uh the mixtape um and you know i i think i i I like to think that i just kind of did something that might be a little bit unique in that book we'll see i haven't seen all the pieces and some in there they're all amazing uh the the title i I just found it it's uh visions from the upside down stranger things art book yeah and uh it comes out on october 3rd Oh no! This this October we'll we'll leave it on. Oh, October fifteenth. <laughs> okay, all right. There you go. October fifteenth. So uh, I'm I'm gonna tell my wife to make a note of that because that is our wedding anniversary, <laughs> and that's what. Oh, I want. is it? Wow, <laughs> wow! It's a few days after ours. Oh, very cool. Well, yeah. you know, October. That's a pretty cool time to uh, to plan the it wedding. It is. It is definitely yeah. Uh, anything else coming up you want to let us know about? Um, no, I think uh, you know I'm always always painting or illustrating something um there may be a few more uh uh printed in blood announcements coming soon hopefully but um but no uh, you know the next few months is going to see me fulfilling this kickstarter and uh and we'll see i am uh, there i will be a part of uh Tiki Oasis, the show I mentioned, San Diego. They they're doing their twentieth anniversary, a big show, and I'm creating a piece for that, which I have to be working on before the end of the year. But no, nothing, uh, no other concrete project uh, in in the works. I'm sure I'll have something soon, though. Well, then, in order to follow along and keep up with your art online, where can we find you on the social medias? 
Well, Zero Street uh, on Instagram, Twitter, um, ZeroStreet.com, and on Facebook, it's my name, uh, Robert Jimenez, The Art of Robert Jimenez. If you, if you head over to ZeroStreet.com, you'll be able to access all those. Isn't that handy how you can just kind of have everything in one place and just click it all? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what you kind of hope for, yeah. Well, awesome, Robert. Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, putting over Thank the you, Kickstarter. Dave. And it's I would say good luck, but it's its funded, man. You're good to go. So now at this yeah. point, everything's gravy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, in terms of the funding, it is, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. It funded on the first day or, or I think overnight on the first day. Um, yeah, that, that was great. That's fantastic. Put some, put some pressure off and let me focus on finishing the art. Right, right, on doing the work and not having to worry about the sales. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.